you to those of y'all who knew I was preaching and still decided to come this morning. Uh, I don't get to preach every once in a while, and I do enjoy the times that I get to. Um, kind of that realization that you, that you have to know what you're talking about, so you study just a little bit harder, and you know you learn a little bit more that way. Um, unfortunately, Brother Randy's not here this morning. He is far better a uh, preacher than I am, and he knows a whole lot more, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to fill in just a little bit. Uh, those of you who weren't here yesterday for our uh, celebration we had, you missed a good party, that's for sure. We had, uh, it was amazing, just I don't even think I counted them, how many children we had out here yesterday. Um, we had a, a few friends of friends and, and whatnot come in, and it was, it was really uh, a good time. You know, this time of year is, is great, springtime. You know, you always think of springtime, beautiful weather, flowers growing, you know, the, the Bradford pears are blooming already, and, and it's... Uh, it's great, and you know, here at Pippin, this congregation, we've kind of seen the same kind of growth. We've got several new family members that have joined, uh, and several new babies, as you'll be able to hear throughout this lesson, I'm sure, um, who have, you know, added to, to the number here. And, you know, one of the greatest blessings in my life has been Harrison. I don't know if y'all have seen him. He's the cute one down here in front, by the way, if y'all didn't know. Um, but just watching him grow... Um, and being his dad has been such a blessing to me and to, to Ann. And then all the other little babies around here watching them grow. It, it seems like it hasn't been a year. This April 20th, it'll be a year that Harrison's been born. And, and I tell you what, it goes by fast. And, you know, I always hear older people talk about how fast their kids grow up, and, and you know, that's absolutely true. But, you know, the growth, in essence, is a blessing to us. It was a process that God created when He created the world. He created us, the complex life forms, to start off as a baby and to grow and to mature. And, you know, as, as human beings, we reach that age of accountability and then we mature onto adults, and that's part of the process, that we are meant to grow physically. And just as we start out as babies here on earth, and grow to adults spiritually, we start off as babies. Turn with me to John chapter 3. And I know most of you know the story of Nicodemus. We're going to look at it again real quick. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Now that ye there in verse 7 is plural. He's not talking just to Nicodemus. Ye means you, all of you. Everyone must be born again. <clears throat> now the, the, the term born of God or born of the Spirit is used several times. Now specifically in 1 John, um, there are five times where the, the phrase born of God is used. And I think that's an interesting phrase to think of because, you know, you think of born, you're born to mother and father. But being reborn spiritually means that you are born of God. You are God's child. 
And as a baby, you are to grow up, spiritually speaking. And turn with me to First Peter, if you will. This is the part of what uh, Brother Kell read for us just a few minutes ago. First uh, Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> and verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, not of human, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. <clears throat> now, the human being is composed of two parts, the body and the spirit. The body is brought into existence by God's law of procreation, that growth process that he created when he created the world. The spirit is given by God and it is infused in that newborn baby. Zechariah, uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, mentions that the word of the Lord, and this is the quote, formeth the spirit of man within him. So, the word of the Lord formeth the spirit of man within him. Now, the spirit grows as it develops godlike qualities and characteristics. <clears throat> the goal of each human being is, as Romans 8.29 puts forth, to conform to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, the firstborn, spiritually speaking. Peter said that we are to be partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1 verse 4. And so the beginning of spiritual growth is to be born again. That's the beginning. To be reborn into the spiritual infant that requires nourishment from the word of God. As the spirit grows with this nourishment, we learn how to act like Jesus. We learn how to set that Christian example in our lives as we are told to. And it's also good to note that just as the body grows proportionately, um, you know, the legs, the arms grow together, except for my case where my feet and hands grew way before everything else. But the body grows proportionately. So does the spirit. Let's take a note with me to Second Peter, uh, starting in uh, verse 1, chapter 5, the Christian graces. But let me read it to you, and let's look at it just a different way. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now like I said, I want to look at this a little different. Sometimes when you want to put an emphasis on something, you can kind of take the, the statement and look at what isn't being said, and that will kind of emphasize what has been said. Let me reread this and, and, and put in a few other things just that aren't said to emphasize what has been said. Now note, just towards the end of verse 8. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the church. Let's, say, let's pretend it says in the church. Well, we would all understand that. We would all know what it means. That if we have all of these, if we add all of these things to our faith, then we will not be barren nor unfruitful in the church. We would understand that. That would be a good... A good verse. What if it said something like, <clears throat> you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in bringing people to Christ? Well, we would understand that. If we have all of these things added to our faith, then we will be good at bringing people to Christ. 
If, if it said that, we would understand it. Or if it said something like setting the Christian example. If we have all of these things, we will neither be barren nor unfruitful in setting a good Christian example. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that if you have all of these things, we will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the knowledge. If all of these things in you abound, you will be good at this. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look over at Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> uh, specifically verses 11 through 15. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth should no more be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So this passage of the Bible again reiterates the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of the Son of God, specifically as I read. And then it goes on to mention children and how children are blown about by the wind of doctrine, how people who are children spiritually, meaning they don't have knowledge of the Bible, <clears throat> it's easy to sway them to believe in a man's doctrine. And we all understand and know that concept, and it's very, very much true. And so from this we know that spiritual growth, as in starting as a baby, moving to maturity, begins and ends with knowledge of Jesus through the Bible. <clears throat> and just as babies move on from milk, we talked about the sincere milk of the Word, just as babies move on from milk to solid foods, as we nurture our spiritual growth, there will come a time when we need and should want to move away from the basics, um, what we would consider the basic notions of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 5, and I can't remember if we've gotten there or if we'll get there in Brother Randy's uh, Sunday morning, um, but chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, they pronounce a warning to the Hebrew people. You know, at this time, there was great persecution in the church, and the Hebrews were, or, or the, the people of, of, that were newly converted to following Jesus were being convinced to go back to the old law. And that's what a lot of Hebrews is, is telling them, hey, that's not a good idea. You know who Jesus is. You need to follow him. Don't go back. But specifically in chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14, uh, says this, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So again, the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews was telling these people, I'm not happy with how you've grown spiritually. You have been, it's time for you to be a teacher. It's time for you to move on from the basics. But we're having to teach you these basics again. And <clears throat> that, that strong meat, that phrase used there in other translations, is solid food. You know, we understand that as a baby grows, they go from milk 
to solid food, so too do our spirits. And Hebrews 6, verses 1, this is a continuation from Hebrews 5. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So again, Hebrews is saying, let's leave the principles, not leave them as in forget them, but let's move on. We've got the, you've got the basics down. Move on to bigger and deeper topics. Now, what exactly does it mean to move, on, to move beyond the principles of the doctrine of Christ? Well, first of all, let's, let's think about a few basics, things that most of us probably know. We know in the beginning, dot, dot, dot. We know where that's from, Genesis 1. Most of us can get the basics down of the story of Moses, um, the Exodus from Pharaoh in Egypt, even the story of the Ten Commandments. Most of us know that. Uh, we have all of the stories that are used to teach the kids. You know, Noah and the Flood, um, David and Goliath, Samson, um, Daniel and the Lion's Den. We know about Jesus' birth in a manger. We know that Jesus taught with parables, basics. We know about the betrayal by Judas Iscariot, the crucifixion and the resurrection. We know that <clears throat> there were 12 apostles. One betrayed him. One was added and later Paul qualified as apostle. We know that the church began in Acts. We read that. We know that there is a plan of salvation. That's, I would consider to be a basic idea, basic thought. We know that Paul wrote many letters to the churches. Most of the books after Acts, or Acts included, were written by Paul. Letters to different churches. And then we know the book of Revelation. We know it's largely symbolic in nature. What about... You know, like I said, moving on from those basics, how many of us are ready to get away from those and look at deeper topics? First, let's look at things directly from the Bible. And these are just suggestions. What about the relationship between Old Testament sacrifices and Jesus' death on the cross? You know, the qualification of having to be perfect and, and spotless, and then Jesus was perfect and blameless, sinless. What about the similarities and the correlations between Isaac's particularly when he was going to be sacrificed. And Jesus, you know, he had to carry his own wood up the mountain. And what the Bible alludes to is that it was the same mountain. Jesus had to carry his cross to the same place where he was to be killed. You know, those correlations are fascinating. If you are a good student of the Bible, you understand that the Bible does that several times. They will correlate something with the Old Testament with the New Testament. Books that were written hundreds of years apart that mesh perfectly. <clears throat> but now let's look at some things that we can just speculate on. And these aren't from the Bible. These are ideas that, that I've either heard from other people or come up with myself. But think about this, and I'll give you a second to, to think about it. Did God create the law of procreation, and did He give us love for our children so that one day, when we read John 3.16, we understand what it means to send your only son. What if he created children and the process by which we grow children, specifically, or at least a part of it, a reason for creating that process was so that we would understand what it meant for him to send Jesus. Did God create the sun in the sky so that later on as Christians, when we read it, We'll know what it means to be a light in the world. God didn't have to create the sun. 
He could have created the earth to warm itself from inside and made us all see like cats in the starlight. We don't have to have the sun. But he did. He gave us a light in the world. And I think, or at least I'm suggesting, that a part of the reason why is so that we as Christians would know what it means to be a light in the world. <clears throat> and something specifically for this lesson. Did he create that process of physical growth? At least part of the reasoning... Did it have anything to do with us being able to understand what it means to grow spiritually? Do we start off as babies and grow to adults physically so that we would understand what it means to start off as babies and mature spiritually? Just some things to think about. <clears throat> Jesus spoke a parable in Matthew 7 about a wise and a foolish man. Let's look at that. We've all read this before. Excuse me. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, there's a very important distinction made in those verses. The wise person is the one that hears and does. Not just hears, not just listens, not just pays attention. They hear and they do. And the fool is the one that hears and does not. Excuse me. So let's take a look at the importance of hearing the Word. Now, the words of God are not merely a good idea. This isn't merely a book for entertainment to read that tells a story. They're a lamp to one's feet and a light unto the path. That's in Psalms 119, verse 105. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, 4, and this is um, going back to when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he quoted that to the devil. And that's a quote from Scripture back in Deuteronomy 8.3. <clears throat> and again in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, this is chapter 30, verses 17 and 18. Here we see another warning to the children of Israel. But if thine heart turn away, that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish. And then in Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Say that again. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So according to our Lord, in Matthew 4.4, 4, we have a need for both physical food, for our bodies, and we have a need for spiritual food, for our spirits. The body is of this world, and so needs food that is of this world. But the spirit is not. It is not of this world. And so it needs food that is not of this world. Now, before uh, departing from the Ephesian elders, um, Paul made this statement. This is in Acts 20, verse 32. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Able to build you up spiritually. Able to assist you in growth. Growing, being stronger. Now, these words come as no surprise from the man who also said that the Word of God is the power of God. 
It is able to produce faith. That's Romans 1.16 and then Romans 10.17. The Word of God, Paul wrote, is able to make us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.17. But what is the value of being thoroughly equipped for every good work if we don't ever do those good works? What's the point in preparing for something if you never do it? Well, let's look at the importance of doing the Word. Now, when understood, believed, and practiced, the Word of God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is make it to heaven. It is not man's responsibility to save himself. He needs God. He needs Jesus for that. In the book of Jeremiah, verses 10, or, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 23, we read that it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It is not man's responsibility to direct his own steps. And if we extrapolate that, we know that if you are directing your own steps, then you're not following God. God has laid out a plan for you, and if you're not walking along that path, you're doing it wrong. And then we can also imply that if you are following Jesus, if you are following that path, then you're doing what you're supposed to do. Now, Revelation 3.20, again, very symbolic in nature, but this one's very easy to figure out. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and will sup with him and he with me. Let's look at that just a little bit closer. If, note, note the phrase, and open the door. Let me take that out and read it again and we'll see what it says. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's not what it says. It doesn't just say all you have to do is hear. It says, if any man hear my voice and open the door. There's a do, a verb there. You have to open the door. And he will come in and sup with him and he with me. And again, the symbolism of Revelation is very apparent to us of Jesus not only knocking on the door, but us answering, opening the door, and then Him coming in, supping with us, and us with Him. Very symbolic, but a very powerful idea. Now, Paul wrote in Philippians 2, this is verses 12 through 16, we're beginning, beginning towards the end of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputing, that ye may be, or in some translations, that ye may become blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we see from that verse that when you do, meaning when you do the things you're supposed to do, when you learn the knowledge, you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, you learn what it is you need to do and how to live your life, you may become blameless and harmless. We're all sinners. I'm not saying that we won't be. But you can become like Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that fits that bill. Blameless and harmless. As a man on this earth, he was the only one. And as we do these things, as we learn the Bible, as we mature from those babies spiritually to adulthood spiritually, we learn what we have to do. We become more like Christ. Now James wrote in uh, James 1, verse 22, and then skipping to 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer 
of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deeds, or as some translations say, shall be blessed in what he does. And so my question to you as I bring this lesson to a close, have you grown? Obviously, I'm not asking you if you've grown spiritually, or grown physically, rather, um, because we're all in the process of doing that. Some of us have stopped. Some of us are getting smaller. But have you grown spiritually is my question that I put to you. And I asked myself this question. Excuse me. I asked myself this question while I was putting this sermon together. And I have to admit that although you know, I've been a Christian for six and a half years now, Come July, it'll be seven. And I can admit that I have grown a lot since that day. Um, but probably not near as much as I could have. Um, I think this is where many of us kind of fall short. We, some of us get into the, the routine of thinking that, you know, two Bible studies and one worship service is, is enough time with this book for me to grow. Well, what if you only ate three times a week? Physically ate food three times a week. Do you think you'd grow much? No, you'd waste away into nothing and probably die from starvation. <clears throat> to grow spiritually means to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without this, we cannot grow spiritually. Now, I want you to think, are you doing the same things now when I say that? Meaning, are you looking at the same lessons? Are you studying the same things? Are you doing the same works that you were doing a year ago? About five years ago? About ten years ago? Have you grown in that time? Have you grown in the knowledge of the Lord? Do you know more about this book than you did before? That's one question. Now there's no doubt in my mind that being a teacher for nearly five of the six and a half years that I've been a Christian has helped me grow tremendously. Uh, when Ann and I first got married, of course, she and I both got baptized the same night, about two weeks before we got married. And shortly thereafter, we moved to Johnson City, Tennessee. We attended the congregation of Cherokee Church of Christ up there. And that's where I got my first opportunity to preach. They had the, the fifth Sunday service was led by the young kids. And at that time, I was still considered one of the young kids. Uh, and so I got the opportunity to preach. And luckily, we, we had Ronnie Cobb here, and, and Ann took really good notes of one of the sermons that I really liked. And so I just kind of turned that back around and spit it back out. Um, but shortly thereafter, they asked me to be a teacher. One of the, the teenage class needed a teacher. And, you know, at first, you know, I knew it was going to be a challenge because a lot of those teenagers knew way more about the Bible than I did at the time. There's no doubt about it. And so I studied. We got references. We got a hold of some Bible dictionaries, some concordances, some commentaries. And I taught myself what I needed to know to teach that class. Because we all know, all of us, all of those of us who've had teenagers or no teenagers, they're really good at asking those open-ended questions to make sure you know what you're talking about. And I wanted to be able to answer those questions. I didn't want to make it look like I didn't know what I was talking about, even though in some capacities I wasn't qualified at all. But I want to ask you, those of you that are not teachers, you're not elders, you're not pre preachers, you're Christians. Are you studying to show thyself approved? Can you answer those open-ended questions from a non-Christian? Questions like, well, what if I'm on my way to get baptized and I get in a wreck and die? Or what about those people that still live in the jungle in the middle of Africa? What happens to them when they die? 
They, they don't know about God. What happens to them? Kind of open-ended questions like that that people ask to try to trip you up. Do you know an answer to that? Can you give an answer? 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should be, or he asks, if we are ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Ready always to give an answer for the reason that the hope of the hope that is in you. The hope that we will make it to heaven. That God is who God was, who he says he is. That Jesus is God's son, and Jesus was who he said he was. And that he made us a promise. And that our hope is based on that promise. Our faith is based on that promise. That when this life is over, if we've done what we needed to do, we will live eternally in heaven. That is the hope that is in us. And I give, <clears throat> I give a lot of credit to a lot of these uh, the self-help programs like Alcoholics Anonymous and some of these others. Their first rule is, you know, the first step in fixing a problem is admitting that you have a problem. Whether it's admitting it to yourself or admitting it to other people. And you know, I, I, that's a very smart thing when you think of it. Um, if you know that as a Christian, you haven't been doing everything you need to do, whether it's a little bit, whether it's a lot, the first step in fixing it is understanding and admitting to yourself that you need to change. And you know, as Brother Randy defined for us a few weeks ago, repentance, the definition of repentance, is a change in mind that brings about a change in action. A change in mind that brings forth a change in action. And for us Christians, repentance is, for, for those of who are already Christians, repentance is something that cannot be preached enough in my opinion. Because we know that all of us sin and fall short. All of us do. There's not a perfect one above us. Repentance is absolutely necessary to getting back to that state of being able to go to heaven. And I think it's also important to note, and this is something that a lot of denominations don't preach, but forgiveness comes after repentance. Repentance comes first, then forgiveness. It's not the other way around. You're, you know, I've had it said to me, well, I can go out and do whatever I want Thursday night. I can go dancing. I can go drinking. And then Sunday morning, I'll just pray for forgiveness, and I'll be okay. And then the next Thursday, I can go out. I can go drinking. I can go dancing. And then the next Sunday, I'll pray for forgiveness, and I'll be okay. It doesn't work that way. Repentance comes before forgiveness. Again, I, I've mentioned it before, but the plan of salvation is very basic. It's laid out. First step is you must hear the word. And not only hear, but listen to, read, understand, learn, find out the things that you have to do. And everything after that point is a do. You have to do something after that point. Don't just listen to Jesus knocking on the door. Don't just hear his voice. Open the door and let him in. After that, you have to believe, obviously. You have to believe that God is God, that he created the universe, that he sent his son to die for us, that we could be forgiven of our sins. You have to repent of your sins. Repentance, again, for us who are already Christians, repentance is very important. You have to confess publicly that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to believe that. You have to know that. And then you have to be baptized. The Bible says it, again, ten times in the Bible. Ten times that we have an example of where somebody has asked, what must I do to be saved? Or what do we need to do? And each of those ten times, 
Baptism was mentioned. Every ten, each one. And finally, after baptism, you have to remain faithful and you have to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there are any Christians in the audience now who have done anything publicly that they need to get off their chest, be forgiven of, they have repented of, those, of that sin, of that transgression, you need to be, just, just ask for the prayers of the church if you're having problems. Or those who may not be a Christian yet, if you understand what it means to be a Christian and what, it, what you have to know, what you have to believe, then by all means don't wait any longer. If anyone here is subject to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd ask that you come forward now as we stand and as we sing.